Am I on? All right, okay. okay. Hi. Sounds quite quiet to me. Um, I know Dyer's just pray for me, but I want to invite you to just spend a moment of prayer. Um, so we're going to have just a moment of quiet where you pray. And in this moment of quiet, I would like to invite you to pray firstly for yourself, that you would receive the word that is about to be read from the Bible and the word that's about to be preached. And then would you pray for someone else in the room? Maybe someone who's not from your household. Um, because we're the body, aren't we? We're the church. And we're, it's not, we don't just come to church so that we would individually receive, but we come so that others would be blessed. And so I'd encourage you just in a moment quite to pray for yourself and then pray for somebody else in the room. And it might be that one person gets all the prayer, in which case they're going to have an awesome encounter with God during this sermon. Um, but we hope that everyone gets covered. So just a moment of quiet. Just pray for yourself and pray for someone else. Lord, bless us during this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So my passage this morning is Nehemiah chapter 3. We've been going through a sermon series in this wonderful Old Testament book. But before I read it to you, I would like to remind you of something that is part of the amazing good news we have as Christians in Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. He died to save people like you and me who confess that we have done things wrong, who confess that we need saving, we need the mercy of God, we need the forgiveness of God, and therefore we repent of our sin, we turn away from our sin, and we put our faith in Jesus for salvation, our faith in Jesus for forgiveness, for everlasting life. And in that moment, every Christian is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in the hearts of a believer. And so I can say this morning, God dwells in me. God is with me forever and ever and ever. I have a personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit who dwells in me, through Jesus who died on the cross for me. And so one way of sharing the good news of Christ is to say it's me and it's God reconciled in personal relationships, just me and God. But the good news of Christianity, the gospel, doesn't end there. It's not just that I personally have been reconciled to God. It's not just that me personally can have a relationship with God. It's not just that you have been saved individually. But you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have been spiritually united to Jesus Christ. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit dwells within you, that the Holy Spirit spiritually connects you to Christ. And he is the head of the body. And therefore, when you're spiritually connected to Christ, you also become spiritually connected to other Christians as well, all who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. You are spiritually united to all of Jesus' people to the body, to the church. And therefore, when you're saved, it's not just me and God, but we're saved into a community of people expressing their love for God and their thankfulness to God for all he has done by loving one another. In the passage we're about to read this morning, the community of God's people, 
the church, the body of Christ working together is an aspect that is emphasised and expressed so wonderfully in Nehemiah chapter 3. And so I don't want us to neglect this wonderful part of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's amazing that I have personally been saved. It's amazing that you have personally been saved. But it's also amazing that we are united together as a body, spiritually connected to one another, to serve alongside one another. And that is part of the good news of Christianity. So let's celebrate that part of the gospel by reading together Nehemiah chapter 3. There are 32 verses here to read and there's lots of difficult Hebrew names. So um, I need your grace and love as I read this to you. Let's, um, you know how much I love these Old, these old Testament Hebrew passages with lots of difficult names. Um, so you know, you don't have to feel that sorry for me. I'm excited to read this to you. So Nehemiah chapter 3 verses 1 to 32 and the words should appear on the screen. Thank you very much, Johnny. Then Eliashiv, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set up its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set up its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. And next to them, the, to- uh, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Jehoiada, the son of Pesiah, and Meshulam, the son of Besoadiah, repaired the gate of Yeshanah. They laid its beams and set up its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Malatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Ramon, this is the one I always got wrong when I was practicing, Meron, the, eh, I can't say it, there we go, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them Uziel, the son of Hahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to them Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of the half half the district of Jerusalem repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumath, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Pahath-Moab, repaired another section, and the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set up its doors, its bolts and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set up its doors, its bolts and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhosa, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set up its doors, its bolts and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, of the king's gardens, as far as the steps that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of the half the district of Beth Zur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Bani, Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half district of Kalar, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired, Bavai, the son of Henadad, ruler of half the district of Kalar. 
Next to him, Azur, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired. Another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabbai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashiv, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakos, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashiv to the end of the house of Eliashiv. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. And then, after them, Benjamin and Hashuv repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Binui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palau, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on. Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We love to read it publicly and celebrate it together. Andrew Wilson, you might know Andrew Wilson, is a famous preacher within the New Frontiers movement. And he preaches a very famous sermon on this passage of scripture. And he, his, his title and the, and the sermon title that I've stolen from him this morning is this, Individualitis and the Dung Gate. Individualitis and the Dung Gate. There is a de- disease amongst humanity. And it is a disease that has infiltrated the church. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the disease called individualitis. Many of us, even in this room, suffer from this great illness, individualitis. And now let me tell you some of the symptoms of this great disease and this great illness. It's, it's an illness that says, the world is all about me. One of the symptoms, if you have this disease, is you think like this. I have a great destiny rather than thinking we, the church, have a great destiny together. One of the symptoms of this disease is that when you read the Bible, you read everything as if it's about you personally, and you don't think about the role of the church and the role of Israel when you read. For example, there's a famous verse in in Jeremiah. God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your good, plans for your welfare. And we read that and say, that's a verse for me, when in reality it's a verse that's written to the nation of Israel. It's a collective verse. And so when God's speaking, he's speaking to the, the plural you. He's talking to the collective you. So you read that. If you've got individualitis, you read that verse and go, that's a verse for me. If you haven't got individualitis, you read that verse and say, God has a great plan for the church, has a great plan for the nation of Israel. He's got a great plan for us, united together. Another symptom of individualitis within the church is that you think church is optional, non-essential. 
You might even think, I can do church from my living room, not just when we're forced to because of lockdown, but for the rest of my life, I can just sit in my living room and watch videos online, and that's okay, that's doing church. That's a symptom of individualitis. When you share the good news of Jesus, if you don't say anything about Israel or the church, you probably suffer from individualitis. If it's all about an individual putting their faith in Jesus and there's nothing about the community of believers which you you become a part of, then maybe you suffer from the disease of individualitis. My hope this morning is that this passage in Nehemiah chapter 3 applied by the power of the Holy Spirit, will give us a fresh vision for Christ's plan for his people and be the medicine to cure us, to treat individualitis within our midst this morning. I hope this passage will have a big impact on the way you think about the church. So, the first thing I'd like you to see in the passage is that everyone plays their part. The people of Jerusalem, the whole population of Jerusalem, come together to build the wall of Jerusalem that has been knocked down. Did you see in verse 1, it was the high priest and the priests who build the sheep gate. And then you read through the whole passage and you come to verse 32, and the last guys, the merchants and the goldsmiths, are completing that last section from the upper chamber to the sheep gate. Do you see, the passage I've just read to you is a circle starting with the sheep gate through to all these other parts of the wall the dung gate and the horse gate and the fish gate all the way back round to the sheep gate and through everybody playing their part the whole wall is rebuilt the whole population of Jerusalem coming together to rebuild this circular wall and of course that's really important isn't it because if you just build part of a wall you don't achieve anything at all You know, if they did from the sheep gate to the horse gate, that's the only bit that they did, then the enemies who wanted to enter the city of Jerusalem will just go, well, we'll we'll go round to that other bit where there's no wall and it's knocked down. We'll just walk in. You know, part of a wall is pointless. It needed to be a full circle. It needed everyone to build their little part of the wall. That's why all these names are mentioned in this passage. It's not to test preachers in reading the passage publicly. It's so that you just get a sense of these dozens and dozens of people coming together, all working alongside each other to do something amazing, to restore the wall in Jerusalem. Did you notice that Nehemiah, the guy who's written this book, wasn't even mentioned. There's another Nehemiah mentioned in that passage, but the Nehemiah of the book of Nehemiah isn't mentioned in chapter 3. Chapter 3 isn't about Nehemiah. If you were to ask me, is the book of Nehemiah about one man rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem? I would say no, it's not about one man. We have celebrated Nehemiah's prayer life and his faith and the way he deals with opposition and so many different facets of Nehemiah's character in chapters 1 and 2. But now when we come to chapter 3, what we have to recognise is that it's the people who build the wall. It's not one man, Nehemiah, who gets all the credit. By any means, he's not even mentioned in chapter 3. It's the people working together. God rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem in the book of Nehemiah by mobilising the whole community to work together. And so this chapter should be a provocation to all of us to play our part. Every single one of us has a part to play in rebuilding. In rebuilding the church 
all of us have a little bit of wall that we need to bring and to contribute. It takes all of us doing our little bits to form the whole wall, to rebuild the church to the glory of God. I want want you to ask yourself today, where is my little bit of wall? How can I work alongside the other people in this church to achieve something amazing? You don't individually achieve something amazing because, as I say, if it was just one little bit of wall that was standing up against the enemies, it would be pointless. But together, alongside brothers and sisters in the church, spiritually united to one another, we come together, we each build our little section of the wall, and it forms something glorious that serves a purpose, that protects the city of Jerusalem, that builds up Christ Church Fairham in such a way that it brings glory to God and serves the people of our town. What's your little bit of wall? How are you serving the Lord to rebuild the church and to rebuild our town together? Now notice, there's one group of people who don't join in. Verse 5 the nobles in verse 5. It says, And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. That verse tells me two things. Firstly, everybody else was rebuilding their part of the wall as service to the Lord. They wanted to serve God, and so they got their hands dirty, and they picked up the bricks, and they put them together. I don't know whether they had some men. I haven't done my history homework on this passage, but whatever they're using to rebuild the wall, they're getting their hands dirty, and they're all pitching in. They're all serving the Lord. But the second thing that verse tells me is that the nobles wouldn't stoop. The nobles refused to stoop. They were too proud to join in. For them, for these nobles in Jerusalem, wall building was beneath them. You know, I don't do my own building. I hire someone to do my building. I'm a noble. I have money. I have wealth. I'm not going to stoop to join in with this project. I'm not going to humble myself in order to serve God. You can imagine the scene, can't you? Everybody in Jerusalem, each taking a little part of the wall, everyone joining in, and a group of nobles sitting with their feet up, maybe a coffee in their hand or maybe a glass of wine, just watching everybody else stooping and doing the work that they were too magnificent, too noble to do. Kind of, kind of an ugly picture, if you think about it really. These people who thought they were above everybody else in the city serving together. I met with Christian for coffee this week and I said, this week is a heavy word. This is a heavy word that I'm going to bring on Sunday. What I'm about to bring is a heavy, a heavy, a heavy challenge. That's how some people do church. Like the nobles in this passage. That's how some people do church. They watch church. They consume church. We're a nation in the Western world. We are consumers. We've been taught that to buy things and to feed our own, you know, the things that we want. We consume uh, products. We consume services. We give money away in order to purchase the things we need. And some people treat church that way as well. They consume church. They receive, but they never get their hands dirty. They never join in with serving. If you watch church online 
and you do not participate in the community in any other way, you are the nobles in this passage. If you come in person to a Sunday service and you sit and you receive and then you leave and you don't work alongside anybody else in the church in any way, either on a Sunday or during the week, you're acting like the nobles in this passage. Now, if you're visiting, if you're fairly new to the church, we want you to come and receive and enjoy church. Um, But if you become part of us and you start to join in, there will be a time when we ask you to serve, when we ask you to build with us, to partner with us. But there are some people who consume church. They don't encourage others. They don't pray for others. Or they don't ask for prayer for others from others either. They don't serve alongside people in the church. And if that's you, you're the nobles in Nehemiah chapter 3. You're the consumers of church. You're suffering from individualitis. God wants to call us to something greater where everyone plays their part. Thinking specifically about the church Someone puts the chairs out. Someone packs the chairs away. Others devote themselves to prayer. They're the pray- that everyone prays, but there's some people who just have more time and more zeal for prayer. And maybe they're unable to serve in other ways, and so they just go, I'm just going to pray and pray and pray. And every day they get down on their knees, and they spend time before God praying for different members in the church. There's others who are encouragers. You know, Barnabas in the New Testament is called a great encourager. There are people in the church who are encouragers. And what they do is on a Sunday, but also during the week, they're constantly reaching out to people and encouraging them. You did a great job with that. That was fantastic. Look to Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. I just want to encourage you with this Bible verse. There are encouragers in the church. There are people with challenging and difficult secular jobs. And they serve people in their secular jobs. And that's building a little piece of the wall as well as long as you're doing it as part of the church. And so if you're doing a challenging secular job, ask for prayer for people. Don't go alone. Don't be the individual doing a great work for the community. Ask for prayer. Share your challenges with people in the room and also give financially out of the salary that you receive. That's how you do do your secular job as a little piece of the wall, as though it's serving for the Lord. You don't go alone. You don't have no contact with people from the church, but you reach out to others and partner. Can you support me? I've got a really tough day at work ahead. Can you pray for me? And then when other people say, yeah, I'm struggling, I'm gonna, while I'm doing my job, I'm going to pray for you doing your job. And suddenly that, that secular job becomes an act of worship. And it becomes an act that all the church can encourage you in and be with you alongside in what you're doing. Everyone plays their parts. That's God's vision for the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem in the book of Nehemiah. And that's God's vision for the church today, that everyone plays their part. And can I assure you, can I assure you, God has created you. He has done a fantastic job of creating you. And he's given you gifts and strengths in so many different areas. You have so much to give. I think there are some people who don't really suffer from individualitis. They just suffer from very low self-esteem and that keeps them from serving. Can I say, you have so much to offer. I'm looking around the room. I know you all. You all have so much to bring. God wants you to use your gifts and your strengths to come and serve the church, to be a great part, to be a prayer, to be an encourager, to be a server, to to just play your part, to build your little section of the wall. Because if we all do that, we build this magnificent circular wall 
we build this magnificent church that brings glory to God and starts to transform our town that we live in. Very briefly, if you've got your Bibles open, it won't appear on the screen, but have a look at chapter 2, verse 20. In chapter 2, verse 20, the last verse of chapter 2, this is what Nehemiah says. There's opposition, and Nehemiah says, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. He's recognising that God has his hand upon them to build the wall, but he's also recognising an identity in that verse, isn't he? He's saying we are God's servants. He's talking about himself, and he's talking about all the people who are going to join in building the wall. And Christianity speaks a lot about identity. We're told that that we are adopted into the family of God. So if you're a Christian, you're a son or daughter of the king. That's who I am. I'm a son of God. What an amazing identity to have. We're told that we're saints. Saints aren't the super spectacular, amazing Christians. Saints are every Christian. Every person who puts their faith in Jesus becomes a saint. That's who I am. In fact, we tend to say, I think this is a better way of thinking. You think of yourself as a saint who sometimes sins rather than a sinner. Your identity changes. I'm a saint who sometimes gets it wrong and messes up. That's my identity. I'm a son of God. I'm a saint. What a glorious identity. There's another part of our identity that we need to step into. I'm a servant of the Lord. And it's not a hard thing to serve God because God is a good king. He loves me. His instructions are for my good. He loves me completely. So I'm a son of God. I'm a saint in the kingdom of God. I'm also God's servant. And you know, all three of those identities bring me great, great joy. It's out of that place of saying, I'm a servant, that everyone builds their little piece of the wall. So, point one, everyone plays their part. Point two, I want you to see in the passage that priests, goldsmiths, perfumers, and merchants build the wall. In verse one, the high priest builds the sheep gate. In verse 8, Uziel, who's described as a goldsmith, builds part of the wall. In verse 8, also Hananiah, the perfumer, builds part of the wall. In verse 9, Raphael, who's a ruler of a half district in Jerusalem, rebuilds part of the wall. In verse 26, the temple servants build part of the wall. And in verse 32, merchants build part of the wall. Notice none of them are builders. None of them are construction workers. I don't know how much building experience the high priest in Jerusalem will have had. Now, I've been to Bible college. We didn't do a module on building walls. So I would have no clue. In fact, I kind of imagine the high priest doing his bit and then Nehemiah coming up around afterwards and just fixing all the, all the things that are wrong with what the high priest has done. But the high priest is not doing the thing that he's been trained for. He's not doing the thing that he's really good at. He's doing the thing that needs to be done. Same with all those guys. I wonder whether the perfume as part of the wall smelt really good. Like whether he built the wall and then he just sprayed it with nice... You know, he, his gift was making people smell good. His gift was not building walls. And yet he's pitching in in order to build the part of the wall that needed to be built. There's an encouragement in Nehemiah chapter 3 to meet the needs. One symptom, another symptom of individualitis is to say this. I have this fantastic gift how will the church help me use my amazing gift to serve the church that's a symptom of individualitis you have a gift you're going to use it you want to shine in the thing that you're really good at if we have christ like love we say where are the needs i'll do what i can i'm a high priest i can read the hebrew and i can preach from the passage but you know what give me some bricks and i'll do what i can to help rebuilding the wall 
That doesn't mean gifts are unimportant. And of course, if the city of Jerusalem needed a perfumer at that moment, the perfumer would have gone and created some amazing perfume. But at that moment in time, the need was for people to rebuild the wall. And so that's what the perfumers did. They rebuilt the wall. There are needs in this church and there are needs in our community. Are we mindful of those needs? Are we aware of where those needs are? Are we volunteering for those things, even though they might not be our primary thing that we're great at? Or are we saying, actually, I'm kind of better at this, and I know we've got lots of people doing that, so you don't really need me, but that's what I'm good at, so I'm just going to wait until there's a gap to serve in that area. When there's a dire need in the church somewhere else, or there's a dire need in Fairham. You know, maybe you're walking the streets of Fairham and you go, wow, there's... There's some homeless people who are starting to appear. There's people on the streets who need... I don't know anything about homeless people. I better wait until someone who knows what they're doing does something about this. Or are you thinking, is there something I can do? Is there a charity I can get in contact with and say, what's the best way to... How how can you meet the needs of those people in our town who are hurting? How can you meet the need in the church? How can you meet the need in our community? So that's the second thing. People don't do what they're really good at, but they just meet the need because they love the people of Jerusalem. Thirdly, the third thing I want you to see in this passage is in verse 14, that Malchiah builds the dung gate. Poor, poor man builds the dung gate. There's a fish gate. I imagine that didn't smell too good either. There's a horse gate. There was probably quite a lot of dung at the horse gate too. Um, But it's really the dung gate that stands out in this passage is, you know, that's the job that nobody wanted. That's the gate that, you know, I'll take the high priest's house. That would be quite nice. I'm sorry, Malchiah, you need to build the Dungate. One symptom of individualitis is thinking, I have a great destiny. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to do a magnificent thing. But the one with Christ-like love says, we're going to do something great. And you know what? I'll take the Dungate. I'll do the job that nobody wants. I'll do the thing that brings no glory. This is the only thing we know about this man in the entirety of Scripture. We don't know about whether he has a family. We don't know whether he was like a talented musician or a great speaker or that he was, he was a ruler. So he, was a, he, was pro- he probably had a lot going for him. He was probably excellent, lots and lots of things. But the only thing we know about him in Scripture is that he rebuilt the dung gates in the wall of Jerusalem. What an amazing church we will build. What an amazing town we can impact. What an amazing region we can impact in this world. If everyone plays their part, if people look to meet needs rather than simply just doing the thing that they really want to do, and if all of us put aside personal glory and goals to do the Dungate kind of jobs... That's this, what the third point is challenging. Are you prepared to put aside your personal glory and your personal goals to build the Dungate, to do the job that nobody wants to do? A church like that, sorry, a people like that come together and build the wall of Jerusalem. A local church with that kind of attitude can make a difference in Fareham and Hampshire, the surrounding regions, the villages, the towns, all around us. If the nationwide church had that kind of attitude, 
I believe we would start to reverse the trend of decline in the church in the United Kingdom. A people, all of whom are playing their parts, all of whom are seeking to meet the needs of those around them rather than just doing the thing they want to, and all the Christians putting aside their personal glory and their personal goals and saying, I'll do the Dungate job. I'll do the, what, the job that nobody notices. I'll do the job that smells the worst. I'll do the job that nobody wants to do because there's a need and someone's got to do it. Let me be the one. This chapter in Nehemiah chapter 3 is a call to love one another, to be unified together, to work together as servants of Christ. Are you prepared to listen to God's call from this chapter? And if you are, I think there's three immediate responses for us today. Firstly, we need to repent of individualitis and rejoice in team. Repent of individualitis and rejoice in team. I wonder whether that forms part of your prayer life. Lord, less of me. Please, Lord, less of me. Take, take away my, my desire to glorify myself. I only want to glorify you. And Lord, I thank you for my team. You've put me in a church and we work together to do amazing things. Lord, I thank you for this person in the church and this person in the church and this person in the church. I'm so grateful that there are people who are musicians because I'm a terrible musician. It's so good that there are others in the church who are good at that. Thank you that there are people who are techie. Thank you that there are people who love to put chairs out. Thank you that there are people who love to welcome people. There's so many things, the Lord, that I can't do in who I am. But Lord, you've raised, you've brought people who are so good do you rejoice in team in your prayer life do you love being part of the local church because you look around and you see people who are so good at things that you're rubbish at let's repent of individualitis and rejoice in team in response to nehemiah chapter three secondly something really practical there are needs here at christ church Fairham. let me let me emphasize this Rebuilding your little piece of the wall isn't just about signing up to a service team or a rotor at church. It's not, I'm not, I don't want to make this whole sermon about that. But we have needs in this church. We have rotors in this church. And so after today's service, Rachel's going to be running around with a bit of paper for the welcome team and a bit of paper for the tea and coffee team. We need people to sign up for those rotors. Uh, Johnny's going to be running around with a bit of paper for the tech team, and that's definitely a place where we need people to help and serve. So, you know, even if you think that's not my gift... Maybe you think, but I can make an effort to get good at that and learn how to do it. So go and chat to Johnny about that. I'm going to be running around with um, one sheet for set up and pack down, um, you know, just arriving early and putting out the chairs. And then while other people are perhaps chatting over tea and coffee, just spending some time in here, packing everything down, getting it back into my car so I can take all the stuff home. So come to me for set up and pack down. And also come to me for kids' work, because Gemma can't be here this week, I'm afraid. Um... So, she, so I'll do the kids' work one as well, and we, we need people to volunteer to be part of the kids' work rater. If, you've got, if you have got a musical gift and a passion for worship, you can go and chat to Joyston. I can give you a bit of paper if you want a bit of paper, Joyston. I haven't spoken to Joyston. I left him off my list. doesn't matter. No, I'm joking. Um, basically, there's going to be lots of people running around with lists. I'd love you to go, which, which one can I get involved with? There are needs in all those different places. Come and sign up and be involved so firstly repent of individualitis and rejoice in team secondly sign up for a rota if you can and thirdly i'd encourage you not to see this just about serving church building your bit of wall is primarily how you serve god not just on a sunday but throughout the week and to be honest most of us serve the lord in our in, in outside of the church in our jobs 
in raising children, in looking after family and neighbours, in sharing Jesus with your friends. All of that is part of building the wall and building your little part of the wall. And so I want to encourage you to think about this question. How, what do I spend most of my week serving God in? Is it my job? Is it this area of life? What, how do you serve the Lord during the week? How do I involve others and not go it alone? Because I, th- I think so many of us are doing amazing things in our jobs and our workplaces and amongst friends. And we're going, I'm, I'm just doing it. This is my group to go to. And I want us to be united in these things. Why don't you ask for prayer? Why don't you share with others? And that's why Tuesday prayer meetings are so good, by the way. We always have a time of just sharing prayer requests. And you can go, I'm meeting with this person. Would you pray for me? Or I'm struggling with this in my workplace. Would you pray for me? How do you involve others and not go it alone in the way you serve? people and build your little piece of the wall during the week I'm going to pray I'm going to pray for us as a church that we would have this kind of attitude and each of us would build our little part and then I'm going to lead into communion actually would, we, would you stand Let's, um, you know, we've been sat for a while, let's stand up if you're able to, if you want to I'm going to pray for us as a church Lord I thank you for the amazing work you did through all the people Everyone played their part in Nehemiah chapter 3. And Lord, I pray we would be a church where everyone plays their part, where we work alongside each other. We know the person building the bit of wall next to us on our left-hand side and on our right-hand side. And we rejoice that we are part of a team serving together to do something amazing. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of individualitis and you would heal us by the power of the Holy Spirit, knit us to others in the church so that we might work together for your glory. That we might not say, I have a destiny, but we would say, we have a destiny as a church. You're going to do amazing things through the church. Not through me, but through the church. Lord, I pray we would be a body of believers who love and care for one another. And I pray for anyone who's just feeling that conviction Lord give them the confidence to volunteer for something or give them the confidence to reach out for prayer for what they're doing during the week Lord we want to serve alongside each other and be the true church just like this people in Jerusalem help us Lord God help us Lord God do that we thank you for the spirit who is always with us and we pray he would lead us and guide us in this as we seek to be the church for your glory we pray I pray for all those rotors I've mentioned. I pray they would have more than enough people to do all those things really, really well, that everyone would be able to play a part and get involved. And I pray for all of us outside of the church, building our walls, serving the Lord in our jobs and our families and whatever we're doing, Lord. I pray a blessing upon that and I pray partnership upon that. That would be partners together as you intend us to be. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.